save it till tomorrow. <laughs> My name is Clancy, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> I'm very happy to be here tonight to act as your chairman of this opening meeting. When I was a little boy growing up in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, why? Uh, I'm doing a I'm doing a solo for the moment. Just hold it. <laughs> when I was a little boy growing up in Oakland, Wisconsin, I always dreamed that someday I'd be in Minneapolis, and and here I am tonight, and I'm sick of Carson. <laughs> Did you forget an announcement? For God's sake! Gonna make an announcement. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to break in like this. But Joan Nicholson, you've lost your billfold, and it's at the message center. Anyone with a Norwegian name doesn't have much in their billfold, I'll tell you that. Just enough to buy a bumper sticker that says, Oofta. Well, I am a... I'm very pleased to be here. My job is to get you in a good humor for, to, for tonight's speaker and to, uh, to make you feel warm and wonderful. I got a little set of instructions that says we would prefer that you did not talk more than five minutes, but ten minutes on the outside. And I'm not going to take anywhere near that long because I, uh, I'm in a strange position. I just found out this afternoon I was going to chair a meeting. They don't tell you you're going to chair a meeting when you come here. But they tell you after you get here, which is all right. So then I had to find out who I was going pleased to see that I was going to chair this meeting. I, um, <laughs> you want to read some more now? Or, uh, or, maybe we could have a dance. I, uh, many, a number of years ago, I was advertising director for a big corporation in Los Angeles, and someone brought down to me a rather despicable wimp of the first water and I talked to him and I had the opportunity of watching him get sober and mope around and wimp and his poor wife who was also an alcoholic suffered greatly she told me that many many times <laughs> and uh, I listened to his fifth step and I'll tell you I, I don't know if you've ever heard many fifth steps but it's one of the few that I had to keep just taking them no-dos all the way. Just, just There were never any light spots. Just, uh, uh. Little did I know that a number of years later I would be having to introduce that puke at this convention. to report that that pathetic wimp has over the years turned into an excellent father, an excellent husband, an excellent AA member, a good employee of his company. In fact, he's my insurance man, and uh, as a result of my adding my 18-year-old son to our policy three months ago, he and his wife are here on a one-month vacation. <laughs> But I think I can assure you, I, I was sitting in the speaker's room tonight. They had a special meeting for the speakers where it really sounds important, but they just sell you two tickets for a cup of coffee and dismiss you. <laughs> but they, uh, 
I was looking around the room and I, I knew every speaker, every, every speaker disrupted by funny chords that I have known personally outside of speaking. And I want to tell you something. They are all good AAs. There's a lot of good speakers, but not all good speakers are good AAs. I'll tell you that. There's a lot of speakers who, when they get off the podium, don't ever ask him for a ride home because you'll never get it. <laughs> because they're communing at a higher level. <laughs> I, want to, I want to be around the AA speakers or people who are engaged in sitting in those chairs and sharing their experience, strength, and hope with some mope sitting next to them and not just a room full of people. I think we're very privileged this weekend to have all the speakers are active, involved members of AA, and that's the highest compliment I can give anyone I know in this fellowship. The, uh, incidentally, now there are people outside of this room where if your closed circuit TV set is not working where you are, I'm about 6'3", <laughs> and I've got blonde curly hair, and I'm... I'm just your basic, ordinary, bronzed Viking god. <laughs> if you can see, to hell with you. That's that. But I, uh, our speaker tonight, his wife is in the front row, who I've known since she got sober, and he's sitting here, who I've known since the day he got sober. And I can tell you they are both examples of AA in action, that AA works, I am privileged and honored to introduce my friend, Hank. I just didn't want him to get, get a better start than I got. Hi, everybody. My name is Hank Johnson. I'm an alcoholic. And I have my car here, but I'm sorry, I can't take you home tonight. I'm busy. I drank for 30 years. I uh, went into a bar when I was 18 years old, and they served me. And in California, you're supposed to be 21, but I passed for 21. And uh, I uh, immediately I felt at home. You know, I had graduated. I wanted to become a man, and a man can buy a drink over a bar. And uh, I never had to learn another thing for the rest of my life, you know. What else is there? You know, I could play the jukebox over in the corner just as good as the rest of the guys. In fact, I thought my selection of songs were a little better than most. <laughs> and uh, I just went back every opportunity I had from then on, you know. And I felt comfortable there, and I'd sit on that bar stool and look at myself in the mirror, and like Norm A used to say, you know, just get better looking after each drink. And I enjoyed it. And uh, I met my wife in a bar. Where do you meet girls? I never knew any place else. We got married and moved out to a little track house out in the uh, east side of Los Angeles, a little community out there, West Covina. And uh, that place was $56 a month. And you know, I, I had a hard time. Okay, well. I'll talk to this part then. <laughs> I don't know what to what to do about it. I uh, but we moved out to this track house and the payments were fifty six dollars a month. And uh, you know, I had a hard time coming up with those payments at first of the month. And I figured, well, hell, I'll double up next month. You know, where am I going to come up with $112, for God's sake? Somehow I would, uh, you know, I wouldn't pay another bill or something, and somehow I'd make the payment. We almost lost that place several times. In fact, we finally sold it and, uh, before they did foreclose on us and uh, moved in with my dad for free. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my, if anybody would have asked, Hank, what's your problem? I would have said, money. Money is my problem. Jesus, how did I ever get involved in this business I'm in? You know, it doesn't pay enough. You know, if she would just go to work and help me, uh, whatever, you know. 
And uh, it turned out that when we moved out there, why uh, we, when I married my wife, she had a little girl by our previous marriage, and then it turned out she was pregnant. And uh, I didn't start saving for that baby until about a week before it was due. <laughs> you know, I just, uh, you know, my problem is money. I went into a little town there and I borrowed money at the beneficial finance company. And when my son finally turned 25 years old and I was finally sober on the program of AA, I finally got beneficial paid off. <laughs> you know, I, I figured it out, you know, after uh, long years of sobriety, that what I did, you know, because at the end of the year, I would figure out my income tax. And I would have all this these payments for interest and Jesus with thousands of dollars worth of interest and I think what in the hell have I purchased that you know that I would have pay out all this interest you know they don't finance hundred dollar cars I'll tell you that and I just didn't know and I finally figured it out after I was sober a few years I financed 30 years of drinking and I almost every drink I took I paid an extra five or ten cents um, uh, in interest to beneficial finance company and thank God I finally got them paid off. Uh, in my drunk, my tell you, my drunkalog has got to be the most boring story. See, they do, they're doing it to me. So. <laughs> Jesus. You know, I uh, I hear these exciting stories from the podium. You know, I hear. Guys go in the bar and they punch everybody out. And they get arrested. The cops come and they punch the cops out. They get drugged to jail and they walk in the cell there and they find the bunk they want. And they pull the guy out of the bunk and punch him and lay down the bunk they want. You know. I hear guys like my sponsor. I understand. I heard that he jumped over the Texas State Insane Asylum wall and ran through the Texas plains in his terry cloth robe. Uh, <laughs> And I heard another guy talk, and he drove in a tunnel 75 miles an hour and tried to make a U-turn. <laughs> and I, I never did any, any of those things. All I ever did is just sat around and drank. <laughs> you know, I watched a lot of TV and played some phonograph records and, and uh, read once in a while, you know, nothing heavy, just like a condensed version in the Reader's Digest. And, uh, and uh, that's it, you know. And my wife used to get irritated at me. She used to get bored and cause excitement, you know, by kicking me out of the house. And I never knew enough to argue with her. I'd just leave, you know. She said, leave, I left, that's all. And I never moved very far from home, just down the streets, you know. So I, and I worked my way back in. I was in and out, back and forth. And she divorced me three times. And the last time I finally got the idea, what, you know, you want a divorce, you got it. You can have the house, you can have the furniture, you can have everything. All I want is my stack of old 78 records. They're collector items and I want them. Okay, and uh, I ended up a half a block from the ocean, a little town, Hermosa Beach, California, in a little shack and behind a, behind a large house. And I rented this place, and it was really just a one-room place. It was like a 12 by 15 room. And uh, I bought a turntable and 10 speakers from a friend of mine. <laughs> and I had, I had speakers in all four corners, behind the drapes, behind the couch, in the bathroom, in the kitchen, you name it, I had a speaker there. And a typical day for me was to wake up at 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm already an hour late to work, you know. And I'd throw my clothes on and I'd shave and I'd get in that car and I'd weave in and out of traffic and break every traffic law you could. Uh, and get to, uh, on the way to work, I'd worry. I knew by the time I got there I was going to be fired. Because, you see, I should have worked yesterday. And I had left all these papers all over my desk. And if the boss were to see him, you know, he might get a little excited about them. And God forbid if he'd look in my desk drawer. I had papers in there. Some of them were months old. They were too old to turn in. If I turned them in, I'd get fired for holding them. If I didn't turn them in, I was going to get fired. And it was all going to happen today. I knew it. You know. 
and I'd get to work and I'd check my desk out, everything's the same as yesterday. Whew, man, you know, and I'd go get a cup of coffee, come back to my desk and shuffle papers and, and uh, try to look interested <laughs> and make excuses to my customers why I hadn't done what they wanted me to do. You mean you didn't get that in the mail? Well, I'll be darned. You know, all the class of help we get nowadays, and I'll personally take care of that myself. You can depend on it. You know. Or I'd use the computer one. You know, that's a good one. That's the best one. You know, the computer's been broke down for the last 10 days, and you mean you didn't get that? I'll, listen, I'll take care of that myself personally. You can count on it. And if you don't hear from me in a week or so, let me know. Let's get this thing straightened up. And, uh, you know, and I'd do that for an hour, an hour and a half, or till a respectable time to go next door to the bar that was conveniently located right next door to where I worked. And they sold martinis over there. And I like martinis. And during the lunch hour, they sold double martinis for a dollar. <laughs> the regular martinis were 75 cents. And I figured, well, hell, you're going to have two anyhow. So you might as well order the dollar one and save 50 cents. You know, you can really use that money. You know? <laughs> and uh, so I'd order the dollar one and I'd get to sipping on that and I'd kind of compare my, my drink to the guy sitting next to me at the bar and he'd have a 75 cent, you know, and I'd kind of compare mine against his and I'd think, you know, this really isn't a double. It's a little bit larger than the 75 cent. If it was a double, they would, they would charge more money for it. Who the hell do they think they're kidding around here? You know, I've been around. I know these things, you know. So I better have another one. <laughs> and then I'd have another one, and then I'd have another one, and then I'd call the office and tell them, I forgot to tell you, I'm going on a lot of calls this afternoon, take messages, I'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. And I'd get in the car and I'd head towards the beach. And on the way to the beach, I'd stop and buy the cheapest bottle of vodka I could find. And I'd get home about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm a real neat drunk. I'd hang up my clothes real carefully, you know, so that the, so that the uh, creases fall properly, you know, and uh, hang up my shirt and put my shoes away. And real neat, put my pajamas on. And then I'd sit on the edge of the bed with my cheap vodka, and I'd open that up, and I'd take a big jolt out of it, you know, and I'd say, well... You've done it again today. This cannot continue. You know, you're not the only guy that's ever been divorced. You're not the only guy that's ever been in debt. Why the hell don't you do something about it? Then I'd put an old 78 on the turntable. Something like Billy Eckstein singing, Who Can I Turn To? <laughs> and then I'd go into this fantasy. And I'd get to talking to myself, you know, you're not the only guy that's ever been in debt. You're not the only guy that's been divorced. Why don't you do something? You know, most guys in a predicament like you, they'd get a second job and at least get out of debt anyhow. You know, by God, that's a good idea. But wait a minute, I don't have to get a second job. I'm in sales. And if you're in sales, you know, you can make practically any amount you want to make. Just, just how, you know, however you want to apply yourself. And uh, yeah, that's right. What a fantastic idea. I don't know about you guys, but when I have these terrific ideas, I got cause to celebrate. So I'd have another drink. <laughs> I'd play another record. You know. And then I'd get to thinking, you know. You know, in X amount of months, if I triple my income, which I know I can, because I'm going to go, I'm going to spend all week working Monday through Friday, sell, sell, sell. And Friday, and Saturday, I'll go in the office and clean up paperwork, you know. And hell, I got a key to the place. I can go in there on Sunday. And I'll map out and plan my work for the coming week. And, you know, if you're in sales, if you plan your work and then work your plan, you can't miss. And I knew all this. And I just felt so happy about it. And, uh, and I get to thinking, you know, in X amount of months, if I triple my income, I'm going to be completely out of debt in no time. Then what are you going to do with all the money that's coming in? Well, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to buy a white Lincoln Continental car. And I'm going to drive it up to that house where she still lives. On the way up there, I'll stop at the Hallmark card shop and I'll buy the biggest, beautiful card you can find. You know, something with beautiful poetry on it. A 
a dollar card, no 25 cents. <laughs> and over on the left-hand side, I'll put, thanks for all the good years, H. You know, you know not Hank or Henry, just H. And then I'll get a gold-plated key for this car, and I'll drive up there like at midnight so I can make sure and get the proper parking spot. And I'll pull that, and I'll pull that car up there, you know, and I'll get it right in front of the house, and I'll put the gold key in with the car in the envelope, and I'll tiptoe up on the porch, and I'll, and I'll put that envelope down in the mail chute, and then I'll split. Next morning, she'll get up, and she'll go through her routine. And she'll get her mail. And she'll see this big envelope. And she'll open it up and the key. Oh, I wonder what the key is. And then she'll read this beautiful poetry, you know, the sad kind, you know. Tears will just roll down her cheeks. You know, it's really beautiful. And she'll see over on the left-hand side, thanks for all the good years, age. And she'll look outside in the front of the house and she'll see a, that beautiful car out there, brand new, shiny. And she'll see the key in the card, and she'll realize that that's her car. Then she won't think I'm so bad, you know. Then she'll be sorry. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I just get a big, big charge out of giving those big gifts like that. <laughs> and I, I just does something for me. And then I look up at the clock, it's almost 11. My God, I'm almost out of booze here in the liquor store closes at 11 here in the neighborhood and I throw my clothes on over my pajamas and run. That's when I first started jogging, you know, to get, I'd, I'd have to get down there before the place closed and uh, get the guy just as he was closing up, bottle of Smirnoffs. I always bought the better brands there in the local area in the neighborhood. I wouldn't mind them think I was cheap. And then I could stroll back to my shack and I'd have, you know, with peace and comfort and security for the rest of the evening. And I'd get home and I'd have dinner, like a cold hot dog out of the icebox. And I'd sit on the edge of the bed and play more records. And, and I'd start rehearsing the speech I was going to give at the banquet because I knew I was going to be salesman of the year. And somewhere in there I'd pass out. And I'd wake up the next morning and it'd be 10 o'clock. I'm already an hour late to work, and I throw my clothes on real fast and shave and get in that car and weave in and out of traffic and break all the speed laws and, and get to work. I knew by the time I'd get there I was going to be fired because, you see, I should have worked yesterday. I left all these papers all over my desk, and, and geez, if the boss were to look in my desk drawer, I know I'd be fired on the spot because I had papers in there. Some of them were months old. And, and, you know, it, and I knew the feeling of impending doom. I never heard that expression until I got to AA, but I felt that feeling of impending doom. And, and I'd get to work and check everything out. Everything's the same as yesterday. Whew, man. I'd get a cup of coffee and come back to my desk. And, and I shuffle papers for a while and try to look interested and make excuses to my customers. You know, you mean you didn't get that in the mail? I'll personally take care of it. Yeah. The class of help, the computer, whatever I could think of. And then at a respectable time, I'd go to lunch at the place that was conveniently located right next door to where I was. And I'd make my big decision of the day over there. Whether to have the dollar one or the 75 cent. And then I'd have another one, and then I'd have another one, and then I'd have another one. And then I'd call the office and tell them, I forgot to tell you. I'm going on a lot of calls this afternoon. Take messages. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. And I could have just collared over there. It was that close that I always called little, you know. And, uh, and then I'd get in the car and I'd head towards the beach. I'd stop and buy the cheapest bottle of vodka I could find. <laughs> and I'd get home about 2 or 2.30 and I'd hang up my clothes real neatly so I'd, and put my pajamas on, sit on the edge of the bed, and open this cheap vodka and take a big, big jolt out of it, you know. And I'd say to myself, you know, well... You've done it again today. This cannot continue. You know, you're not the only guy. <laughs> you know, you've got to do something about your life, you know. I put an old record on the turntable. <laughs> something like Billy Eckstein saying, Who can I turn to? 
And then I'd go into this fence. And I'd have this wonderful idea about starting tomorrow. I'm going to get up at 6 o'clock. I'm going to get down to that damn office by 7. I'm going to knock out paperwork for a couple hours. And when that phone starts ringing at 9 o'clock tomorrow, I'm going to be ready to do business. And for, You know, what the hell? I can spend the rest of this year and just concentrate on business. You know, a lot of guys have done that. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I don't know. Then I start thinking, you know, what am I going to do with the money that's coming in? You know, after I get my bills paid. Well, I'll buy a white Lincoln Continental. You know, I didn't do that once or twice. I did that hundreds of times. Towards the end of the month, the boss would say, ask me, he said, are you in sales here? And I'd say, yeah, I'm in sales. And he said, well, how about making a sale? I said, don't worry about a thing. I'm a fast finisher. And I was because I, I was scared and I'd work around the clock. And, you know, I always made my quota. And at the company I work for, if you make your quota, at the end of the year, they give you a plaque. And it's a beautiful plaque. It's got your name on it, you know, and it says for outstanding salesmanship and being the type of an individual we want to represent this company and for product knowledge and all that good stuff, you know. For eight drunken years in a row, I won a plaque. <laughs> and then I got sober, and I didn't win a plaque for eight years. <laughs> you know, my, my whole story was wrong. You know, in my case, anyway. You know, just because I got sober, I didn't, didn't make me a lot of money. I know a lot of guys that have made a lot of money on, you know, after they got sober. But in my case, you know, I didn't. And, uh, in fact, after two years of, of sobriety, they fired me. I, I went into the office one day, and the guy says, you're fired. And I said, well, you can't fire me. You know, I've been with this company now for ten years. And he said, the hell, I can't. You're fired. And so I said, well, we'll see about this. And I went to see the regional manager and uh, went to him, you know. And I, I practically told him my fifth step, Actually, actually, what I did is I sniveled and cried to him, really. And I said, gee, I've been with this company ten years now, you know, now the guy wants to fire me. You should have fired me before, maybe, you know. But two years ago, I completely changed my life. Stopped drinking. My wife and I are trying to make it together, and the kids, and I'm trying to pay my bills off, and, you know, and, and now, now the guy wants to fire me. He says... Well, congratulations, he says, on changing your lifestyle and all that. He says, very commendable, but he says, they just don't want you to work there in that office anymore. So I'll put you on paid leave of absence for a short period of time. You claim to be a salesman, go sell yourself to another branch office. We got 80 of them. And that's what I did. And uh, I'm still with that firm. And I'm getting a little bit worried because the last three or four years I've been winning plaques again. <laughs> I, uh, you know, what happened to me is what happened to a lot of guys in AA. I went on a honeymoon. I just, I loved AA, you know, and I still do. But I just loved it so much that, you know, it, uh, I, I just forgot, you know, you don't have to work. My God, you know, God's going to take care of you, right? And, uh, I thought just showing up on time, you know, you ought to get a raise. <laughs> but uh, it's the work you do after you show up on time, it seems, that that's what you get the raise for. Uh, but uh, I didn't understand all that. And my sponsor pointed out to me that that happens to some people, you know. They just get so damn heavenly, you know. They just sail out into the sky. And they just get so damn heavenly, they just become of no earthly good to anybody. <laughs> And uh, that's what happened to me. And he also pointed out to me that in the, in the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, it states in there that it's okay to have your head in the clouds, but you should keep your feet firmly planted on the ground and maybe take these steps. And that's what I've been trying to do ever since. But I got ahead of my story a little bit. But uh, I, uh, about that time, I got a call from my ex-wife, and she said, come and get your drunken son. He's just like you are. <laughs> and saying he had turned 16, and he'd start getting into trouble in school, you know, nothing major, just nickel and dime stuff. And uh, 
He went out to a party one night, got drunk and came home and threw up on the carpet. And that was the last straw. She had had it with the kid, you know. And uh, so she called me to come and get him. And I never argued with her or whatever she said, I did. And so I went and got him, brought him home. And he didn't want to come home and live with me, you know. And uh, I didn't want him to come home and live with me, but she said, so I had to, right? And so, uh, you know, in fact, he used to come and visit me occasionally and spend the weekend with me. And, you know, I never knew what to say to him. You know, and then I figured, what would a real father say in a situation like this, you know? And I would say stuff like, you know, with your potential, with your personality, you know, you should be student body president. With your, with your intelligence, you ought to be making all A's, you know, and you're, and you're a big guy. You should be the captain of the football team. You know, I'm really disappointed that you're not doing these things. And, and all the things that I kind of wish that I had done when I was in school, you know, that's if I was sober, that's the way I would talk. But if I were drinking, which was most of the time, I tended to slobber all over him, you know. And I'd tell him how much I loved him, you know. And I would tell him, you know, you were no accident. You were planned, you know. You are a love child, I tell him. And he used to just, he used to just cringe, you know. And I, you know, and I tell him, all the trouble that your mother and I have had throughout the years has nothing at all to do with you. We love you. And I'd just go on and on and on. And he'd just sit there and cringe. He could hardly wait to get the hell out of there, you know. <clears throat> and I couldn't stop once I got started. And I would just give it to him, you know. And the next, mo next morning I'd wake up and, and I'd just be ashamed of myself. You know? I couldn't look him in the eye. I was ashamed that I told my son I loved him. And I'd take him home and drop him off. And one of the times he came down... I dropped him off and he asked his mother, he says, you divorced him, is there any kind of legal action I can take? <laughs> I don't want to live with him, I don't want to get out anymore. So he had to come and live with me. And you know, it's a funny thing, we, uh, we hit it off. And uh, it was the start of a beautiful relationship that we've got going to this day. And, uh, you know, we had, we had a resentment to, to build a friendship from you. You know, mom had kicked us both out. <laughs> so we tried to build from there some kind of a life, you know. And it wasn't a month later, she moved in too. <laughs> and all the time we were apart, that three or four years we were apart, you know, uh, she never drank, you know, when we were married, ever. Once in a while we'd go to a party or something and she would try to take a few drinks. And she's allergic to alcohol. You know, she'd get, she'd gag on the first drink, and I'd put it in a tall glass. Come on, have some Seven Up with it. Loosen up. Have a, we're supposed to be having a good time here. Come on. You know, she could never drink. But during that two or three year period that we were separated, we were apart. She uh, had taught herself how to drink, and you know you can do that. You know, if you practice enough, and and she was practicing daily, and you know. <laughs> They say practice makes perfect. And she was damn near perfect when she moved in. <laughs> and uh, then a typical day was that I'd wake up late and go down and shuffle up papers and go to the bar and have the martinis and get home about two or something and I'd hang up my clothes and put my pajamas on and had to take a drink out of that cheap vodka and put an old record on. And here comes my son, about 2.30. And I'd say to him, you know, I don't know who you think you're kidding, but school don't get out till 3 o'clock, and it's only 2.30 and you're already home. You know, and I'd stand there, you know, he always brought three or four guys with him, you know, we lived a half a block from the beach there, and they were surfers, and, uh, and I'd go, you know, and I'd stand in my pajamas with a bottle of vodka in my hand, <laughs> and I would ask him, you know, how the hell do you ever expect to amount to anything? You know, you know, if you don't apply yourself in this world, my son, you haven't got a chance. You know. You've got to have a diploma to get any kind of a job. I'm really worried about you. You know, he'd look at me funny, and the guys, the guys with him looked at me funny. 
and uh, they'd go off surfing. And then I'd go into my fantasy about starting tomorrow morning, it's all going to be different. And here comes my wife home from work about 5.30, and we'd have our first drink of the day together. And, you know, when I, if I'm not drinking, I'm kind of a grouchy guy. I just say, you know, just leave me alone. Don't ask me for any advice. Uh, don't ask me for any money, and uh, you're free to do just any damn thing you want to do. And uh, I just soon sit in the corner and watch TV or something, you know. But don't get me involved. I don't want to get involved. But you give me one drink, and all that changes. And I don't care who you are. I like you the best of all. You're the, mo <laughs> you're the most interesting person I have ever met in my life. And I want to sit up with you, and I want to hear everything about you from day one. And I'm, I'm prepared to sit up all night and hear your plans for the future. As long as, as long as we've got a bottle, I'm with you. My wife, on the other hand, is an outgoing, friendly person when she doesn't drink. And uh, she knows the paper boy by his name. She knows the girls at the supermarket, the checkout gals. They all know her, and she knows them. I don't know how she does all that, you know. But you give her one drink, and all that changes. All the pent-up emotions and hostility of a lifetime come out in that first drink. <coughs> you know, I, she's here with me tonight, and so I'm not going to really take her inventory, but I'm just going to tell <laughs> I'm going to tell you a few of the things that she did, just to... <laughs> Just so it can help you folks understand me a little better. <laughs> and I, she did stuff like, like, break my little Sony TV. You know, it was one shot, she just killed it. Bang. <laughs> just because I was laughing at a program. She used to break my phonograph records, you know. Just because I played them maybe five or ten or fifteen times, you know. I get, I don't know about you guys, I get hung up on songs. And I'd play a song, and gee, that's a great song, you know. Please turn your tape. I'd play it again, and then again, and again, and again, and again. And sometimes just one trumpet toot just sends me. So I get, get the needle and just hear that, hear that trumpet toot one more time, you know. And you could drive her crazy. She'd go over the photograph and take the record off there and just break it, you know. Gee, those are collector items. You, you, know, you can't replace those records. Good, I never have to hear that thing. <laughs> Through the Christmas tree, lights and all out the back door. <laughs> Went over to the phonograph one night and took the arm of it and just bent it up. <laughs> I couldn't play any more records that night, I'll tell you that. Next morning, you know, I got, I got a pipe wrench and screwdriver and pliers and I tried to straighten out that arm. I couldn't get it. I don't know where she got her strength from. I couldn't get it straightened out. It cost $35 to get it fixed. You know, about that time we went back to group therapy. Things weren't going all that good. And uh, we, we joined a couple's workshop. I don't know if you've ever been in a couple's workshop or not. But off and on, we went to group therapy to try to find out what our problem was, you know. Uh, every, you know, for off and on for 15 years or so. And this last one was a couple's workshop. And that's where couples, married couples go, and there's a therapist, and the married couples cop out on one another. You know. And she'd tell the therapist in front of these, all these people, like six or eight people there, you know, why don't you tell them how you, how you drank a fifth of vodka before I came home from work last night? And I'd say, you know, it just hurt me when she'd say stuff like that. That's why I'd counter with, well, why don't you tell them about the fifth you, you drank after you got home? And God, I'd come out of those group therapy sessions and my guts would just be on fire. I hated those yeah. One time the therapist asked me, he said, you really drink as much as she says? And, and I said, hell yes, I drink, I drink a lot. You know, who wouldn't marry to a woman like that? 
I got two of the world's worst kids in the world. You know, this job I've got is a pressure type job. God damn, boy. The pressure is going to kill me on that job. And, uh, sure I drink. That's the only thing I've got. I come home in the evening and I have a few drinks. And, uh, he said, have you ever thought of quitting? And I says, you know, as a matter of fact, I had. And I had. I thought about it every night, you know. <laughs> Not tonight. Tomorrow morning I'll not quit. For the rest of my life, starting tomorrow morning. And, uh, he said, you ever thought of joining AA? And I said, thanks, but no thanks. I've already been to AA. And I had gone to a meeting somehow, got two years prior to that. And it was one of these kind of meetings where the leader was asking if there was anyone who had just completed their first 30 days of sobriety. And if so, if they would come up to the podium and receive a little chip. You know, I don't know if they do that around here or not, but it's a poker chip. Then it says 30 days, and on the back of it, it's a one day at a time. And uh, they give them out for the first 30 days. And, and anyone just completed their first 30 days of sobriety, this leader said. And here comes this guy up to the podium, and I got his 30-day chip. And my name's Del Blow, and I'm an alcoholic. And I know that I, this is a spiritual program, and I found God when I walked through the doors of AA. And the lights and the eyes of the people here just turned me on and keep me coming back to these meetings. I just love everybody here. And I just, just before I came to the meeting, I, I got a call from my boss, and he told me that, that uh, you know, he's made me general manager down at the plant. <laughs> it's the best 30 days I've ever spent in my life. And, all you newcomers keep coming back and it really works. God bless every one of you. And he sat down and I thought, oh, God. And then anyone else? And here comes Mary Smith. My name is Mary Smith and I'm an alcoholic and I just love everyone here. And I know this is a spiritual program and I found God when I walked through the doors of AA. And the lights in the eyes of the people here just turn me on and keep me coming back to these meetings. I love everybody here. And uh, when I see my children now, uh, they look at me with respect in their eyes. And my husband is looking at me with renewed interest. What a glorious way of life, you know. Newcomers keep coming back. I just love every one of you, know, and sat down. I thought, oh, God. I never went back. That's it. That's enough for me. And uh, so when this therapist said, uh, would you like to go to AA? Have you ever thought of going to AA? I said, thanks, but no thanks. I've already been to AA. It's some kind of a spiritual program or something. I don't know, but... Uh, and it's, I think it's some kind of a religious cult. I, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I know it's okay for them, but not for me. But I said I read about some stuff called Anabuse in a magazine. And uh, they say if you take that, you know, if you drink on top of it, you get sick. In some cases, they've been known that people have died drinking on top of Anabuse, and, and, uh, according to this article. And uh, I think I'll get some of that. So, not that I really think I'll need it, but, you know... Uh, I'm going to quit just to prove to her once and for all that alcohol isn't our problem, you know, it's not booze. And uh, so uh, we made an appointment with this doctor, and the receptionist says, said to me, don't drink for at least 48 hours prior to coming to the appointment. Your appointment's a week from next Tuesday. And, you know, I didn't drink for 48 hours prior to that appointment. And I went in there, and I said, I'm here for the antibiotics. Oh, yeah. And the doctor will check you out in a minute, you know. And he checked my heart and blood pressure, and he called me into his office. And he closed the door. And he starts talking to me about alcoholism, you know, and how people that are alcoholics have character defects and that they don't want to cope with life. Instead of coping, they get drunk tonight instead. And they wake up tomorrow morning, and they still got all their problems, only now they got a hangover on top of it. And... Uh, and he just went on and on and on about alcoholism. And he pulled a book out from his bookshelf and he started reading to me, you know, about how people try to control their drinking by switching from scotch to brandy. And I know now what, they were reading, what he was reading was a portion of chapter three out of the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, he just went on and on and on and on. And I, I thought he'd never stop. 
And I, who wants, I didn't want to hear a lecture on alcoholism. I just want some abuse, for God's sake. And, and he says, you know, he thought I could give you an abuse. But if what you say is true, if you haven't had a drink for 48 hours prior to coming here, you know, you need never take another drink for as long as you live. Well, you know, I wanted to quit, but that's a hell of a long time. <laughs> I wasn't quite prepared to quit that long at that time, to tell you that. And uh, he says, you're over the hump. And he just went on and on and on about this thing. And uh, I says, well, Doc, if you're not going to give me any abuse, then I guess I better go. And uh, I said, how much do I owe you? And he says, I can, I can see I'm not making much of an impression on you, but I want to tell you something. Due to the nature of the appointment, that, this, of this appointment, he says, I'm going to tell you something. My wife's an alcoholic. And he says, I happen to know a little bit about alcoholism and how it works. And he says, and rest homes and sanitariums hasn't helped her, you know, and psychiatry and, and, uh, and abuse and all these things just hasn't worked for her. But she's sober now. She goes to AA. She's been sober seven months. And uh, he says, promise me one thing. He says, promise me that you'll go to the meeting, the clubhouse in Manhattan Beach and, and buy the book Alcoholics Anonymous and there'll be no charge for this call. And that's the only thing that guy said that day that impressed me at all. <laughs> but I went up there and I bought the book and I brought it home and I threw it on my dresser. About that time, my wife and I had this real bad argument. And, and uh, I told her, I said, I'm going to, you know, this isn't working you know, at all. You, know, you divorced me, remember? We're not even married, you know. And I allowed you to kick me out of all the other houses we lived in. But I moved here first. Therefore, you go this time. And, uh, and I said, I'll go to my brother's house tonight. And when I come back, I expect you gone. So I went to my good brothers. I've got three brothers. I've got one brother that he's in his 70s now and he's been studying in life all of his life. You know, he reads books and studies psychology and one of these days, if he's got time, he's gonna start living a little. You know? so he, knows, he knows all about it, I'll tell you that. And then I've got my square brother. You know, the guy that you go to on Christmas Eve and, and he welcomes you into his home and it's a beautiful home. And, and going out in the kitchen and he pulls a bottle out from the shelf and pours you a shot of booze and you have a Merry Christmas and you have a shot with him. Then he puts the cap on and he puts the bottle back in. <laughs> and you come next Christmas Eve and he pulls that same bottle out. And, uh, and then I've got my good brother. And that's who I went to see, you know. The, the brother that you can go to at midnight or one o'clock and knock on his door. And as long as you've got a bottle of vodka with you, well, he just welcomes you with open arms. And we've got a lot to say to each other, he and I. It seemed like he had bad choice in women also. And uh, we, had, we had lots to talk about, you know. And we sat up and drank and philosophized all night. And while I was gone, my wife decided to commit suicide again. She was always committing suicide. You know, nothing new. She was suicidal. You know. In fact, after she got sober, you know, a couple of years or so, and she was still suicidal. And uh, she was going to commit suicide this one day, and uh, then she remembered she was the cookie lady at the meeting. And so she had to bring the cookies, so she had to postpone it. You know. And... Uh, Thoughts are finally, you know, told her, you know, and knock that stuff off, you know, who do you think you're kidding? And here in 1981, she was really sick and almost died, and she found out she really wants to live, you know. But uh, anyway, I, uh, I bought that book and, I, and threw it on the dresser, and we had this argument, she decided to commit suicide, and, uh, but before she did. She went into the closet where all my clothes were hanging and took a knife and just slashed every stitch of clothes I owned. You know, just made rags out of them and just even took the knife and stabbed my damn shoes. Just ruined everything, you know. And then she, the rags that she had made, she put around the door and the windows to make the place airtight. And uh, 
and she turned the gas on in the kitchen oven and I went to bed. The next morning she woke up just like nothing happened. You know, <laughs> this old place we lived in, it was a half a block from the ocean, uh, the water and the wind used to whistle through those boards and hell you could have turned on ten ovens and never smelled that. <laughs> but she woke up and, and saw these clothes, she couldn't believe it. She did all this in a blackout, she couldn't believe it. When I got home about two o'clock and I couldn't believe it either. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and my son came home about 2.30 and he looked everything over and he thought we were moving again. <laughs> And there we were, you know. And I guess that was about it. And my wife had been with me at this doctor's and heard the doctor talk. And he, she went back to see him and asked him if he thought she was an alcoholic. And he said he didn't know for sure, but why didn't uh, she go to some meetings with his wife? She'd be happy to take her. So my wife came home that afternoon and said, I'm going to go to AA with the doctor's wife. <laughs> and I, I said, oh, God, not, what else can there be? You know, I, I can't handle this. You know? And uh, so uh, I said, besides, you know, I, I can't see her driving down here from Palos Verdes in her Cadillac and picky, picking you up in the dump we live in, you know. Well, I spoke with her this afternoon. She said she'd coming by about a quarter to eight, and uh, she uh, she's going to just toot the horn. She's not coming in, you know. And I'm just supposed to come out then. And I said, good, I don't want her coming in. And just remember when you get to the meeting, if you get there, remember what the name of this organization is. It's Alcoholics Anonymous. That means no names. You know. Don't give them my name, whatever you do. <laughs> You don't have a husband, remember? You divorced me. About a quarter to eight, this, this Cadillac drove up in front of this dump we lived in and tooted the horn, and out she went. And she went to her first meeting with, with this woman. And the first thing they told her at the meeting, the very first thing they told her was that it's not her fault that I drank. Yeah, you know, they could have started their hour with something not a lot different than that. But, but, but they said, don't carry that guilt around with you. You know, you can't make anybody drink, so don't carry that guilt. It's not your fault that he drank. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whether he'd have met you or not, he would have drank. So don't carry that guilt with you. And you also can't make him quit either. Yeah. We don't have that kind of power either. So don't pour his booze down the sink. He'll just go buy another... You just go buy another bottle. And but if you think you've got a problem with alcohol, you think you're alcoholic, maybe you ought to come back to these meetings and work on your problem and just let that SOB drink himself to death. If that's what he wants to do, it's his life, you know. And she kinda liked the ring of that, okay. <laughs> and so she started going to meetings and to be a good guy, I'd go to meetings too, with her occasionally. And most of the meetings uh, that we went to, it seemed like were these kind of, uh, where you sit around a table and discuss situation, and it seemed like those same two people were at every damn meeting I went to, you know. And by now, Joe is really doing good, you know. My name's Joe, and I'm an alcoholic, and I found God when I walked through the doors of AA. <laughs> the lights and the eyes of the people here just turned me on, keep coming back to me, and I just love everybody here, and I've really got good news. Uh, I just been made a full partner down at the plant, <laughs> and I'm taking delivery on my Mercedes in the morning. And what a what a glorious way of life this is! And oh God! And uh, and then by now Mary Smith is so she's she's got a halo she's a holding. You know? <laughs> and my name is Mary Smith, and I'm an alcoholic. And I've just found God when I walk through the doors of AA, and the lights in the eyes of the people here just turn me on and keep me coming back to these meetings. And, and I want you folks to know I've got a couple of announcements to make. My children are getting all A's now in school. They're, they're on the honor society, and they're getting they're getting uh, scholarship offers from all over the United States. And, and it's just a wonderful, glorious way of life. And my husband and I, I'm proud to announce, are we're a couple once again. Oh God, I tell you, I couldn't understand those men. 
And then we all stood up and held hands and said the Lord's Prayer. How corny can you get? And I just hated it. And I, can you, you, but you can't leave, you know, because there's always another meeting that starts immediately after the meeting's over. And all these women would rush up to me and say, Are you Lou's husband? And I'd say, Yeah, I'm Lou's husband. Well, are you an alcoholic too? And I'd say, No, I'm not an alcoholic too. I, I'm just a visitor here, that's all. And I thought, She's one, work on her. And, uh, I always hated those meetings. I enjoyed the speaker meetings. I went to speaker meetings and, and heard good speakers. I heard Clancy speak and I identified with his with him and I heard a lot of guys speak and were good. And I used to follow Clancy. I'd find out where he was speaking. My wife and I would find out where he was speaking and every Friday that was our thing to do, was to go hear Clancy speak and and, and uh, we would uh, of course we'd stop at a restaurant and have a few martinis and dinner and then we'd go hear to the meeting, and I somehow I just didn't hear the part about don't drink in between meetings. <laughs> and uh, she didn't have anything to drink, but I did. And we'd hear Clancy speak, and, and then we'd argue on the way home, you know, what he really meant, you know, how, how come he didn't say that part that he said last week, you know, and stuff like that. We'd, and, uh, you know, it was just a hopeless thing. And I finally told, told her, I said, you know, I'm convinced that I'm an alcoholic. You know, I, I, that's one thing I've learned. I can't deny it, I'm an alcoholic. But it's I can't stand Alcoholics Anonymous. So, but I'm gonna stop drinking, and, uh, uh, but I'm not gonna go to AA, to hell with it. And so I quit. And I didn't, and I quit a little bit before Thanksgiving. And I stayed sober, I didn't drink. Clear through Christmas, you know, and I remembered to buy Christmas presents and everything. I'm sure I wasn't the most pleasant person to be around, but by God, I was sober. And uh, Saturday night after Christmas, my wife went to a meeting, and I stayed home. And I got to talking to myself. I said, you know, that I proved, you know, you've proved it. If you can stay sober from before Thanksgiving, clear through Christmas, you do not have a drinking problem. So I went to the liquor store, and I bought a half pint of vodka. And I no sooner got it back, and I, what the hell did I buy a half pint for? I went and got a fifth. I went back and got another fifth, and I drank all Saturday night and all day Sunday, and I closed the bar up in California at 2 a.m., and, and uh, I woke up the next morning at 10 o'clock, you know. I'm already an hour late to work. And I threw on my clothes and broke the speed limit on the way to work and got, and got there, and I checked everything out, and everything's the same. And I shuffled papers and made excuses, and I went over to the bar a little early that day. And I was sick. You know, after not drinking for a little over a month, I poured all that alcohol into my system, and geez, I was really sick. So I ordered a glass of medicine, you know, Bloody Mary. You know, that's medicine. That's not a social drink, for crying out loud. And just something to get well. And I ordered this Bloody Mary. And the guy got a big, tall glass and he put shaved ice in it, a shot of vodka, and uh, tomato juice, and Tabasco sauce, and Worcestershire sauce, and he squeezed the lime, and put salt in it, and stirred it. I thought he'd never get the damn thing made. <laughs> and I finally got it, and I just picked it up and drank it straight down, and slurped it all over myself. Oh, nuts. Now, make me another one. I went to the restroom, and cleaned up, and came back, and he said, did you want another Bloody Mary? Or did you want a martini? And I said, I'll just skip it. And I went over to the coffee shop section of this bar, and I had a sandwich and a glass of milk, and I haven't had a drink since. And if all... <laughs> Place is all mine, sure. And, uh, but I didn't know that was my last drink. I didn't have any idea of my last drink. In fact, I went a couple of weeks and I found myself at a meeting on New Year's Eve of all places to be. And a couple of weeks went by and I realized I hadn't had a drink in a couple of weeks. And then anger set in. I had just completed 30 years of drinking. 
And I've got this rotten wife and two of the worst kids you could possibly imagine. I've got this pressure job. My God, the pressure's going to kill me on that job. I owe everybody in town money, and it's all past due. And when the phone rings, I jump clear across the room. I know it's a bill collector. If someone knocks on the door, I know it's the police. I don't know what I've done, but I'm guilty. I know that. I'm ready to go. And now I can't even drink. Now they've taken that away from me, too. What the hell am I going to do with the rest of my life? I'll tell you. Nothing, that's what. There's nothing to do if you don't drink. You can't go to a decent restaurant ever. What's the first thing they ask you when you go to a nice restaurant? Would you like a cocktail before dinner? And you can't say to them, well, yeah, I'd like one, but you see, I've got this disease. And, And you know... And it's of a two-fold nature. You know, it's an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. And if I even take one drink, I can't predict my behavior. And if it wasn't for that, I'd sure have one. You can't say that, so, you know. But I used to think you had to explain all that stuff to people, you know. And, uh, you know, I just figured, well, I'm stuck at Denny's for the rest of my life. Sad, sad thing. But I, I had this need to explain to people. I, you know, if I was standing on a street car, uh, corner and somebody walked up, you know, I'd start right away. I'd start explaining what I was doing there. I, I had this need, you know. And uh, that's one of the freedoms that I've gotten in AA, that you don't have to explain so much. And, uh, you know, and ev- just about everything that I knew for sure in fact, everything I knew for sure, I, uh, I found out was all wrong. In fact, I went to a nice restaurant just recently. And the first thing that happened, gal came up, would you like a cocktail before dinner? And I said, no thanks. And uh, you know what? It didn't even phase her. <laughs> didn't even phase her. She just went to the next table and asked them, and they did, they always do, I always look, and I always check, and they always do, I'm the only guy in the whole place not drinking, no, yeah. It's all right. And, uh, but you know, the cruelest thing, and I have learned in AA, or in my entire life, actually, the cruelest thing I've ever learned is they don't really give a damn out there whether you drink or not. I used to think that they did, you know. I was sure they did. Well, that was one of the reasons I didn't want to quit. Well, what are they going to say? <laughs> well, they don't care, you know. It isn't that they, they just don't have any feeling about it one way or the other that really gripes me, you know. They just, who cares, you know. Cruel thing, you know. And, uh, it, uh, I'll bring up to date here, uh, I'm sober 13 and a half years. And my... And uh, my wife is sober 13 and a half years also. (laughs) Except that I've got a little more time than she does. How could that possibly be? You know, she went to AA before me. Well, she didn't hear the part about the pills. They don't want you to take pills either, you know. And where I come from, why, you're not sober if you're taking pills. Or smoking funny cigarettes. And uh, she, did, she thought they were talking about the kind of pills that you smuggle in from Mexico in your hubcaps. You know, not prescription pills. You know. And in uh, response to her, yeah, you know, you've been abusing those too. So... I took my last drink, I hope, on December the 29th, 1969, and she flushed her pills down the toilet on January the 1st, 1970. And if you'll notice, there's a whole year difference. <laughs> and I never let her forget it. And, you know, when I want coffee, she's got to get it. She's a newcomer in the family, right? And, uh, you know, part of the reason my son was looking at me so funny back in those days, he was stoned out of his gourd. 
seemed like he has a problem with alcohol too, you know, and pills and LSD and you name it, he's tried it. And I'll be damned if he didn't turn himself in when he was 21 and he just took a 10-year birthday cake on May the 27th. And our daughter sends you greetings from Alana. <laughs> and, uh, and we're an AA family. And I don't mean to intimate we're the, the best family on the block or anything like that. But uh, we've all got programs. And uh, the problem is, you know, they would just work the programs the way they should, they should work them, you know. <laughs> But no, they've got their own sponsors and everything, and they're doing things their way. And I, so, well, someday, maybe. You know. <laughs> but but uh, my son is a very successful business, young businessman in Los Angeles. And he makes twice as much money as I do. Really gripes me, but he does. You know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was the young people speaker in Palm Springs. It's a pretty big roundup, similar to this, I guess. And there's 1,200, 2,200 people sitting out there in the uh, audience. And my son was the young people speaker here four or five years ago. It's the first time I ever seen him dressed up since he was a man. He bought a new suit, nice looking tie and shirt. He had his hair styled, nice looking shoes, shine to a tee, you know. And he got up in front of this crowd of people, 2,000 people. And he said, my name is Matt Johnson. I'm an alcoholic. And he said, I also use drugs. And he says, I'm the son of a drunken mother and a drunken father. <laughs> my wife and I looked at each other, we just burst into tears. We were just so damn proud. <laughs> you know, he... Uh, no, he's really good. Well, he's got his, he just, about a little over a year ago, he married a little Alamon girl, and they uh, have a condo in the San Fernando Valley, and he just took delivery on his new 83 BMW the other couple of months ago, and, and uh, you know, it just grabs the hell out of me. <laughs> you know, he didn't have to suffer more as much as I did. <laughs> but I try, not, I try to make it, you know, take it easy with him and try not to, try to treat him right well as I can because I figure maybe one of these nights he'll let me use his car <laughs> and I haven't learned all that much in AA except that I that I do appreciate the sponsorship that I got when I was new Clancy gave me and uh, the sponsorship that my wife got when she was new and the sponsorship that that my son had who happened to be my son and uh, but I don't know all that much about AA you know all I know is what those people knew when they first came to AA. You know, and I've got a couple of things to report to you. When I see my children, they look at me now with respect in their eyes. <laughs> and I'm proud to announce here tonight that my wife and I are a couple once again. I found out that this is a spiritual program. <laughs> that I found God when I walked through the door. And you know what? It's the lights in the eyes of the people that turn me on and keep me coming back. Thank you very much. <laughs>